I want to save people the agony of their book not getting published when they know they have something to say. You can Mm -hmm. write it for yourself. You can Mm -hmm. write it for other people or you can write it to sell. You're not writing for money. You're writing to give people value. That's what you're doing. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to The Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello, and welcome to the Author's Corner. I am your host, Robin Colucci, and if you have ever wondered how publishing companies figure out what kinds of books they want to publish, then you are going to want to hear my conversation with Christina Inge. Now, Christina has two decades of experience leading digital strategy and managing complex marketing technology projects. She specializes in articulating effective, efficient digital strategies for organizations using the latest channels to drive results. She is the founder of Sleek Marketing, which offers hands-on education and digital marketing in the Boston area. And of course, she's an author. Her book, Marketing Metrics and Fundamentals of Marketing Analytics. Christina has served on the board of the American Marketing Association as vice president of social media throughout much of the 2000s. She's a frequent and sought after speaker on web analytics, content strategy, and SEO, has worked with many well-established brands such as Nissan, Smithsonian, and a range of startups and nonprofits. And she's won numerous awards for her work as well, including the Social Media Society Social Media Stars Award, as well as the Future M Future of Marketing Award. So lots of accolades behind in Christina's wake. And today, Christina is going to talk with us about data and not only just how publishing companies access data to figure out and determine what might be some great topics that they could go find an author to write about or that they want to keep an eye out for when the next batch of proposals comes in, when people are looking for a book deal, but also how you and I, how the lay people who don't have necessarily access to these huge platforms where we create our own massive databases, and I don't even know what I'm talking about. That's how foreign it seems to me. So we don't have to be a big corporation to be able to benefit and utilize data to make our own marketing decisions, to help us make our own decisions about what kinds of books we are going to write next. So this is going to be a super educational interview for you here today. So you might want to grab your notebook too. Enjoy. Christina, welcome to the Author's Corner. Hi, I'm so excited to be here, Robin. Well, I am excited to have you here because your area of expertise is probably the exact opposite of my expertise. I am a Luddite where you are a master. So I am beyond curious to hear what you have to say. I have so many questions like pressing on my brain right now that I'm trying to get everybody to calm down so we can decide on a good first question. 
But why don't we just go ahead and start out with what got you so excited about marketing metrics and data that you became such an expert? Because really, in a way, it seems like it's sort of newer field, especially, or at least just how it's been transformed with all the data that's become available in the past couple of decades, right? So I'm just curious, how did you get into this as something that you've become so adept and knowledgeable in? Well, it started out when I was working in marketing research, very traditional market research for a publishing company. One of the things we were always asked to find out from our writers, our editors was, what are the topics people are interested in? And you can always conduct a survey and then find out what people say they're interested in. Mm. But it's very different when you actually can determine from what are they clicking on What are they paying attention to? At that point, web analytics was a completely new field. They had like two people working in web analytics in a completely different department. And I found out about Google Analytics. Mm. And my life was totally transformed. I'm like, why are we not using this in market research? It essentially tells you what people are reading on any organization's website, what topics interest them, what topics are kind of meh, you know, what is causing them to stay on the page, what do they read that keeps them really excited and engaged. Very different things than you can get with the static survey because it's constantly being updated. So if there's breaking news, you can see how popular that breaking news is. If there's a shifting trend, you can immediately find out how people are responding to anything you put on your own website about that trend. So it's such good quality, immediate information. And it's such a wonderful supplement to more, at that point, traditional marketing research. This was ages ago. So we were still very much traditional market research driven. I just want to cut in here because something that stood out to me right away, it's the difference between what people will tell you they're interested in versus what their behavior actually shows you that they're interested in. Exactly. And that immediacy. Between those two things, I got very excited about this field and started learning everything I could, started reading everything I could put my hands on about the topic. And so gradually that became an area of expertise for me because I had a passion for it. I have a passion for finding out what consumers want, what they like, and being able to deliver more of that. It keeps the consumers happy and it keeps businesses in business. So what's not to love? Yeah, I'm curious. I think it's fantastic that you were actually with a publishing company. How were some of the ways, you know, considering this is our field over here, what are some of the ways that your publishing companies in general are using data to determine the course of their catalogs? You know, that's really interesting. One thing that happened with my own book, my second book, marketing metrics, which is out from Kogan Page, is they look at, for instance, SEO. Mm -hmm. What are people searching for? What are the hot topics that people are searching for? And as a writer, I do a lot of the same thing. I want to know what do people want to read about? And then I want to write about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, it should be something I can speak to. But given five different topics, I want to write about the thing that people are most curious to learn about. And so one thing that smart publishers are doing is that they are looking at SEO data in terms of keyword popularity data. What are people searching for? And then look at your catalog and find out, okay, where do we have strength in that area versus where do we maybe need to boost up our catalog and create, commission some more titles? So that's one way Mm -hmm. publishers are using data to boost their catalogs. 
The other might be to look at site search. Again, search data, but now look at the data on your own website and see what people are searching for versus what they are purchasing. Are there topics that you could be offering titles on that you're not right now and people are looking for it on your website, not finding it? Well, now's the time Mm. you could offer something. And then a third way is just more the standard marketing way. What are the channels that are driving traffic to our website? What are the content pieces that are driving traffic to our website? And that can tell you a lot about who your customers are, as well as telling you what their interests are as well. So most of the people who come to your website as a publisher and buy end up being people who clicked on your Instagram where you feature author profiles. And you're talking especially about, let's say, your sci-fi cataloging, your sci-fi authors. Well, that's going to tell you that your most ardent fans might be people who are into sci-fi. So those are just a few of the examples. So I'm curious because as you're talking, my curiosity is getting excited here. So then I'm thinking Mm -hmm. most books these days, like it or not, are purchased through Amazon. Amazon has Amazon's data. I doubt they're sharing it with publishers. Or are there ways that publishers and authors can get data as far as how their book is being viewed in the marketplace beyond their own website? You can. I mean, if you set up an Amazon author account, which I strongly recommend anybody who's an author do, you can get data on how popular your book is, where it's ranking, what your sales are, and things like that. If you run ads, even for very short money, even if you're spending like $50 on ads on Amazon, you'll get even more data on the Mm. demographics and psychographics of the people searching for your book and coming to your books page. So yes, I would say absolutely you are going to get a fair amount of data by signing up again for an author account as well as being an advertiser. I don't really like people to have to advertise in order to get data, but that's really the name of the game right now. So yeah, it absolutely does help. I could see how it would be worth it too, even if you don't do a big expensive extended campaign just to do enough to learn more about how people are finding you and what they're looking for and what they might be buying instead or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. Continue. Where were we? Let's see. (laughs) We were in the story. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So you're working for this publishing firm and you started to make these discoveries about data and got very excited. Mm -hmm. And then I interrupted you with more questions. So where do we go from there? (laughs) Okay. Um, I got very excited about data. Again, I started to read everything I could get my hands on, learn everything I could. And from there, I just started to apply it in everything that I did. I started to really make decisions as a marketer based on the data. And that made me a more effective marketer. I started to get higher conversion rates, higher open rates on emails, higher conversion rates on ad campaigns. And so, yeah, it started to really pay off in terms of greater success as a marketer. And honestly, you can't complain about something like that. So I, again, just continued to be a more data-driven marketer. And that really changed my life in terms of I was able to show my value wherever I work by showing A, very strong results, but also by being able to increasingly strengthen those results Mm. through looking at the data, what are people clicking on? What are they not clicking on? And 
basically optimizing every campaign to get the traffic that my employers, my customers, my clients wanted. Is it hard to get data? Like, how does one get data? I mean, you have Google Analytics. Is that still the primary, most accessible or? Oh, data is everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. It really depends on what you're running a campaign on. There's going to be data associated with it. To give you an example, let's say you're an author with a website, and I strongly feel everybody should have a website. Yeah. You're going to get through Google Analytics. Yes, absolutely. You're going to get the number of people who are coming to your website, where they're coming from. In other words, are those social media posts that you're posting doing anything to drive traffic to your website? Is your email newsletter that's driving traffic to your website? And so on and so forth. If you've got a website, you've got data, tons of it, as long as you've got Google Analytics. Other sources, for instance, if you have Google Search Console, it's going to tell you what keywords people are using to find your website. So for instance, let's say you identify as a feminist high fantasy author, but you also write cookbooks. I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> and you've got both of those on your website. Well, what's driving the most traffic? What's getting people mm. to convert? Is it maybe more of your cookbook stuff? In that case, maybe spin that out into its own separate website. If it is something like a combination of both. Maybe what you need to do is, I don't know, come up with a high fantasy cookbook. <laughs> a high fantasy feminist cookbook. Honestly, yeah. I'm going to write that right now. And I'm not I even think, a sci-fi or I fantasy might, author. I might read that just to see what the recipes are. <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I'm getting hungry right now. So it really will tell you what got people excited, what brought people to your website. So then... If you are doing social media, make sure that you have a professional account on platforms like Instagram. And maybe if you write a topic that lends itself to Pinterest, like you're a home deck author, or again, a cookbook author, you can start <laughs> to get the data from those social media platforms. I think one of the number one mistakes a lot of authors make and why it, they struggle to get data is that when they go on social media platforms, which all of us are using mm -hmm. to promote our work, they keep their accounts as a personal account. Mm. It doesn't it make any sense to them because they don't know that if all you have to do, it's just a setting. You don't have to pay any money. You don't mm. have to do anything. But if you change your settings... To being a professional account, you're going to get so much more data on how people are interacting with your content on social media. Oh, that's really interesting. And so it's just a setting? It's just a setting. And how it's going to that? change your life, especially on Instagram. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. I would never, ever use Instagram for any professional purpose without changing those settings to make it a professional account. So give me some examples of the kinds of data that you can get in a professional account that you can't get with a personal account. This is really intriguing. So you could get, for instance, really wonderful would be like, wouldn't it be nice to have a chart showing you exactly which of your social media posts are getting the most traction and which of the ones are not and plot that out day by day? Well, that's what you can get with a professional account. Hmm. It can tell you where people are most engaged, what types of people are most engaged in terms of breaking it down, especially if you're running advertising, you can see all of the demographics mm. of the people who are engaging with your content and so on and so forth. I mean, it just truly, truly is a gold mine. Wow. I can actually share with people 
a screenshot of what you're going to get if you set up for a professional account. But it's basically going to tell you where's your traffic coming from, what are people looking at, what are people engaging with the most, what's kind of falling flat, to help you kind of plot that out in a very easy and intuitive way. Wow, that's amazing. And it doesn't, you don't have to pay to have it or anything. No, no, it's completely free. That's amazing. Wow. That tip alone, man, this is great. What else you got? <laughs> oh, uh, newsletters. You, know, you need a newsletter. Your book says for any business, right? And I was like, really? Any business? But now you've got me convinced on that. Fulfill that promise. All right, continue. You were saying. Okay, so you need a newsletter because what a newsletter is going to do is you send it out, right? And it's going to tell you what are the topics that people will click on the most? Let's say, again, let's say you've got a cookbook and you put out a recipe for, I don't know, scones. Okay, this is high fantasy, a roast dragon, um, <laughs> and uh, some kind of casserole because just because every good feminist to... needs a casserole. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, of course you need casseroles <laughs> all the time. Feminist needs a casserole because you can reheat it quickly with your laser. You're right. (laughs) I like how you think. So you're going to be able to see, okay, I send out these three pieces of content. What do people click on the most? And then that's going to tell me what my readers are interested in. And again, it's one of those things where, sure, of course, you can ask people, but people are sick and tired of surveys. They don't want to answer your survey. And why should they? They know that you can gather this data using analytics. And so go ahead and gather it. You know, it's expected. Most consumers are well aware that we're watching absolutely everything that people do. And you don't have to violate people's privacy, honestly, to be able to track that. You can do it in an anonymized way. Google Analytics is absolutely lending itself very well to an anonymized data model right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. So you can basically just say, okay, people who visit my website, I don't know, at three o'clock on a Thursday are especially interested in casseroles, whereas Mm -hmm. on weekends, people get adventurous and they're looking for roast dragon. (laughs) Well, you know, Saturday night, you have to serve something special. Exactly. So that's the kind of very valuable data that you can get if you've got a newsletter. So that's a really important secondary place to start looking is get that newsletter up and running. That's going to get you to have a lot of nice data on what your consumers open in your newsletter, what they look at, what they click on, et cetera. Cannot beat that. So any channel and every channel is going to give you data, again, on how people are responding to your own content. But people will say to me, okay, but I am just getting started right now. Have any data because I don't have any of this marketing going on. Where would I get the data from? So there's a bunch of sources of data where you can see just in general what people are interested in. There's one tool I really love from Neil Patel, who is a marketing genius. You have got to be reading his blog. And he has a tool that he puts out for free. There is a paid version, but the free version is very robust. It's called Uber Suggest, U-B-E-R Suggest. And what that does, again, this is free. You don't have to pay anything. It's going to tell you what people are searching for online. Again, this is how my publishers have been able to determine what are the most interesting things that people want to find out about so that that can guide 
their catalogs in many cases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The next thing it's going to tell you is where is that traffic coming from? You know, where are those terms the most popular? I also like a tool, I think it's called Ask the Public. Mm. And that, again, looks at what are people searching for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can know what topics are the most popular as well. So really, really important to understand the things that your consumers are interested in, what they're looking for, and understanding what topics you could tailor your content to. I know I keep mentioning that because Mm -hmm. that's sort of one of my favorite uses of analytics, but you don't Mm -hmm. have to use it just to tailor the top writing about. Other things that you could find out about beyond trends be, for instance, who are the popular influencers in your genre? You can use, again, there's a tool, this one's not free, but you can use Hootsuite. And that's going to tell you how many people are posting on a particular social media hashtag. It's going to tell you who those people are. It's going to give you links to those people's social media profiles so that you can then find out, okay, this is somebody who maybe I want to connect to because they might review my book. They might post Mm. about my book. And so it's, again, a very useful tool, not free, but again, Twitter itself and same case with Instagram and all of the other social media platforms, they do have their own built-in tools Mm. also for free because they're built Mm -hmm. in that will allow you to do that research and find out, okay, who are the influencers in my area that I should be connecting to, that I should be review my book. I was going to say, this could be a great way to find some high profile endorsers. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. It is exactly one of the ways I find um, endorsers. Yeah. Very interesting. And I, You know, it's funny because it always seemed to me like to get the really good data, you'd have to pay a lot of money, right, to some data curating company. But I'm learning that this is not necessarily the case. It is absolutely not the case. In fact, I strongly recommend to my own clients because by day I run a marketing agency called Thoughtlight here in the Boston area. I'm always telling my own clients, do not buy data for two reasons. One, I don't consider it to be all that ethical to be buying people's data. They did not share their data with whoever (laughs) they trusted with that information to go out there and have it be sold. So number one, don't buy something that's gross. I'm trying to dance around the topic. That is gross. There we go. It's gross. Tell us how you really feel, though. I feel that it is gross, Robin. (laughs) And the other thing that is often not reliable because you don't know how old is this list? Mm -hmm. Is it fresh? Is it accurate? And then at the end of the day, you don't know how excited these people are to hear from you versus if you do your due diligence and you do research on, all right, who are the top influencers in my area? You follow them on social media. You find out who they are using maybe a tool like a Hootsuite, maybe just doing your own research manually, even though that takes a little bit longer, but you find out the information you then connect with them. Well, now suddenly you're following them. You know who they reviewed last. You can send them a personalized outreach and say, Mm -hmm. hey, I saw that you reviewed so-and-so's feminist dragon casserole book or whatever. (laughs) I have an all fantasy casserole recipe book. Would you like to review that book as well. <laughs> it's it's a personal outreach. Yeah. It's not just blasting the whole world, hoping mm-hmm. 
that yeah. one of the strangers you reach out to actually cares about your book. Yeah, that's great advice. And actually, that is very totally congruent with the advice I give my clients, which is if you're going to ask someone for an endorsement, before you ask them for anything, tell them something very specific about them that you admire or in some way that they've influenced you in a positive way or whatever it is, give them a nice compliment. And that's the reasoning behind why you're reaching out. You know, if you're just like, hey, you know, to whom it may concern, please, please endorse my book is never going to go over very well. Uh, you know, I used to be a book reviewer before I became an author, and I only reviewed Regency romance novels. Mm. Like, legit, that was all I reviewed. And the number of times uh. I would get outreach saying things like, I know this isn't anything you review, but would you review my, I don't know, thriller about no. espionage? No! Yeah. That's <laughs> like my webpage says Regency romances. What the heck is this? Why are you sending this to me? I know. It astounds me how many people think that they're going to be the exception. I don't get it. Yeah. It's, it's like walking into a cupcake store and saying, I would like some roast dragon. <laughs> I know you say you only make cupcakes, but could you go out there, slay me a dragon and roast it up because I'm hungry? I, like, No, I'm going to say no. Dragon <laughs> pot roast for me and my boyfriend. I don't want to walk down the street, look to the dragon store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good lesson for our listeners. Read the website. This is also, since we're on the topic, this also comes up not just with reviewers, but approaching literary agents or book publishers, if they don't represent your kind of work, if they don't publish your kind of work, they're not going to change their whole business model for your one project. So please spare everybody the pain yeah. and suffering of that. You um, often hear from people saying, oh, I just can't get my book published. And you sit down with them and it turns out they're sending their book to everybody who would never publish their book. Right. <laughs> it's just astonishing. And I don't blame the authors. I think that we have developed as a society this myth and it developed, I would say, with maybe our parents' generation, but we've never been able to let it go, that just blasting the whole world with your resume or your book or whatever it is will lead to your big break. Like All you have to do is just make sure that you send whatever it is you have to every address you can find, and then that's going to lead to some result. I don't think that ever worked, maybe in a world no. where publishers were more consolidated and employers yeah, I, I were bigger. I don't know. But I, don't I remember know. once I had was out gardening. It was when I was quite young and I was between jobs. And she said, just walk into every building you see downtown and demand that, that you can work there for free for a month to prove yourself. And I just sort of stood there. I was like, has that ever helped anybody ever in the history of ever? But of course, you can't say that. But right. I think that people are advised to, or they just sort of, there's this myth that all you have to do is just send your stuff around. I think one of the things that analytics helps you do is it gives you that data explaining what actually works, where people are coming from, what yeah. they're interested in, helps you understand the level of specialization mm -hmm. that is actually more appropriate for your business model. And let's make no mistake, folks. If yeah. you are a writer, you are in business. You are in the business <sighs> of writing. You can write to your heart's content about any topic you want. But if you want to get published, you have to know what people want to read. 
And data will tell you that. And that's, again, why I love tools like an Uber suggest and like an Ask the Public. Brilliant. I'm sitting here doing Snap. <laughs> snap clap. Uh, now I'll get back off my soapbox. And, no, it's uh, great. I, we love the soapbox here. Just, okay. Just, awesome. You know, stay on the soapbox. Actually, I was thinking, do you have an example from your own work or some one of your clients or something where sometimes it's not, here's what I'm thinking, right? Sometimes it's not, you might be writing on the correct subject, but maybe the angle is a little off. Maybe you adjust the lens a little, you adjust the focus just a little bit. And that can really make the difference between a saleable book and a flop. Do you have any examples from your own experience where data might've help. It wouldn't even have to be with a book, but where data maybe helped you make even a subtle adjustment that made a big difference. Oh, absolutely. In fact, it helped with my book, Marketing Metrics, Leverage Analytics and Data to Optimize Marketing Strategies from Kogan Page. Um, I talk a lot in that book about the data types that you should be looking at to be able to make business decisions. But I, whenever I had a question in my mind of, is this really going to be all that popular a topic? Is this what people want to read about? I would stop in my tracks. It didn't matter if I was on a roll because you know how tough it is to stop writing on a tough topic once you're madly in love with it. So before I fell in love with my words to the point where it would hurt to cut <laughs> them out, and we all know that pain. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. So before I fell in love with any of my words, what I did is I would Google it. I would go to my tools like Uber Suggest. I would go to Ask the Public, but I would also um, just look on Google to see what kind of content it was being published and by whom and get a sense of, okay, is anybody reading this? Does anyone really care about this topic? And then I did give a bunch of tweaks to it. So for instance, I have two chapters in my book on content marketing. And the reason I went ahead and did that is because I found that people are truly interested in content marketing. It's mm -hmm. a hot topic, but mm -hmm. it's also something where people really want actionable data, actionable guidance and advice. So I went for it and I wrote on that topic. There's some things that did not make their way into the book for the very reason of, you know what? It's not as hot a topic. People are not all that interested. And so I am not going to knock myself out writing about it because. Yeah. What, give me an example of something you were like. <laughs> Yeah, which worked. So, social media analytics. I cover it in my mm. first book from Flat World because it's a textbook and a textbook has to cover everything. Right. There is, however, so much content out there already on social media metrics that I decided that, you know what? I am not able to do better than any of the many talented people who have already written on this topic. Mm. And if I write content on that, people are going to have far less reason to pick up and buy this book because. It's oh, yeah. not going to give them anything new. Ah. And if you're not giving them anything new, they're going to be like, I can get this online for free. So I specifically went out and I gathered the data that, okay, this is a topic that has a lot of searches on it, but those searches are returning results for very high profile websites where they're giving a lot of really useful content away, incredibly informative things for free. So I'm not going to hop on and try to get people to pay me. Mm. for my book, mm -hmm. but you can get this information for free. You know, I want to stop. I want to pause and savor this point with our audience a little bit here, because what you've said is so important because what you've said here is that you can take a popular topic and if it's mm -hmm. highly searched, 
and there's already great value available online, that's a good reason to leave it out of your book, even though it's something people are interested in. Yes. If it's not your genius, if it's not your zone of genius where you can bring something that is utterly unique that no one else can bring because you have some unique insight on it, it doesn't need to be in your book. And I just, huge value here that you've just shared. I want to save people the agony of their book not getting published or mm-hmm. not get selling when they know that they have something to say. I cannot stress this enough. You can write for your drawer. Don't remember who says that. That was when we wrote on paper. Right, you can right. Write, you can write to have written it down for your own self, or you can mm-hmm. write it for other people, or you can write it to sell. I write a memoir that I publish for free on my Facebook. I had a very challenging upbringing and I overcame things and people have told me that the things that I write about help them. I give that away for free. Mm-hmm. because I want to help people. And I don't write stuff down that's just traumatizing, but there's no moral to be learned from it that's going to help empower somebody else. Because so yeah. even if you're not writing for money, right. if you're going to have eyeballs on it, mm-hmm. then you're writing to give people value. And then that's what you're doing. But if you're yeah. writing for money, you have to, you owe it to yourself to churn out something people will buy or else you're going to be broke. Yeah, well, book sales isn't. Yeah, they're never anyway. going to support you anyway. At, but, least, at least if you can make your publisher happy because you earned back your advance, and then yeah. they might be more inclined to sign you for another book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you never try to make a living off of writing. That's the yes, other thing. Please, please. Please, please do not <laughs> ever try to make a living off of writing. There was a lady, a very sweet, lovely lady who said to me, because I was saying something like, I only bought like the rest for lunch. She said, your book got published last month. I didn't think that you had to worry about money anymore. <laughs> I spent a minute and a half helplessly clutching the edge of my desk laughing. <laughs> <laughs> till tears ran down I, my face <laughs> and i hope i didn't hurt her feelings but i literally couldn't control myself right, right. <laughs> but but for me because i write business books they often become sort of a calling card that does help me sell my marketing agency services it gives us that mm-hmm. credibility mm. so to that extent writing yeah. has helped keep me from being broke but it's not the book sales themselves oh amen sister amen i mean this is i always say uh book is not the main thing mm-hmm. the book is a tool to help you grow the main thing exactly. which should be your business and your brand and that's where you get paid Exactly. Yeah. And think of yourself as an author, as a business. Yeah. yeah. You are in the business of you. You are turning mm-hmm. out books. You are hopefully doing online classes, consulting or coaching or all of the above. But you're a business. You mm-hmm. are, you know, whatever your name is, incorporated now. And that's what you have to think about every single day. And that's why data is so important. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. This has been so amazing. I'm going to go my my signature final question. Okay. Uh, which you, you might be prepared for, you might not. I don't know. Some people are nervous about it, but it's it's don't be afraid. Um <laughs> Oh dear. Now I'm afraid. Whenever anyone says don't be afraid. <laughs> 
I'm just okay. Okay. All right. Uh, so my final question is, what have I not asked you today that you would love to answer? What I would say is my best piece of writing advice, and I'm happy to answer that. Pick a time of the day when you sit down and you force yourself to write. Um, for me, it was, I took care of my mother for nine and a half years. She was quite ill and it was when she went to sleep. Um, other people have kids and it's when they go to sleep. For Toni Morrison, it was when her kids had not yet woken up in the morning. If you are blessed enough that your time is 100% freely your own, it could be just when you feel most energized or ironically most calm, whatever. But pick that time. Maybe sometimes it'll get interrupted. Maybe sometimes you're on vacation and you're going to have to be flexible. But don't let a day go by that you are not in your writing. You're either writing or you're editing. The more days go by that you don't write, the harder it is to sit down and write again. So you're going to write every single day, preferably at the same time. Maybe sometimes it's going to move around, but you're going to sit down and you're going to just make a habit out of writing because writing is a business because and writing is a job like any other. And it's work. And you have to treat it that way. You're not Keats. You're not the Bronte sisters. You're not walking around on a moor waiting for inspiration to strike as the myth goes. But you know what? Neither were the Bronte sisters. They treated it as a job. They were hardworking writers. They wrote every day. We have this myth about writing that there's working writers who just make content. And then there's like these geniuses looking for inspiration. If you read a biography of even like the greatest writers who have ever lived, who none of us can hope to even aspire to be as good as, they treated it like a job. They sat down at their desks. They dipped their pen into ink because that's all they had in those days. And they <laughs> worked and they treated their writing as work. Treat mm -hmm. it like a job. Doesn't mean it's not the best job on earth, <laughs> but it's a job. Treat it that way. And the, your stress is going to, I'm not going to say it's going to evaporate, but it's oddly freeing and relaxing. Yeah. Just, and your book will get done. And it'll get done. You'll demystify the writing process for yourself. You're not going to wait for genius to hit you because you're going to recognize the fact that almost even the geniuses are not geniuses in the sense of waiting for it to hit them. They just sat down and cranked it out. Yeah. Genius tends to show up when it has an appointment. I love that. I'm going to embroider that on a sampler and I'm going to send it to you as, awesome. as a thank you gift for having me on your show. <laughs> Well, Christina, Genius tends to show up when it has an appointment. Seriously, this is a sampler. <laughs> <laughs> Christina, this has been so wonderful. And I can say the data is in. This has been an outstanding episode. And thank you so much for being with us on The Author's Corner. Thank you so much, Robin. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.